Hello, and welcome to episode 53 of Man vs. Business. My name is Les Janes, and I am here with my co-host, Sean McMenamin. This week, Sean and I are discussing the topic of non-conformances, corrective actions, and preventive actions, how to set up a program, how to perform them, and some best practices. So with that, let's start the show. Sean, how are you doing today? Good, Les. How are you today? I am doing great. That is awesome. <laughs> so, um, you know, speaking uh, of that, to, here, just to, just to digress a little bit, you know, I'm kind of like okay. the, the people person and talking and everything like that. Yeah. One of the things that, that, I, that I like to do is say good morning to everyone. Do you say good morning that, to everyone? I try to, yes. yes. In fact, I did it today just because of that book I read oh, the that book I told you homework about. homework I have for next week? Okay. Yeah. Audience, uh, Sean has a little bit of homework. He's got a book he's going to read, and it might be a book that we wind up talking about in a later episode, but uh, he's going to read it first, so um, uh, we'll, we'll see how that goes whenever we get back together. Right. But today, uh, we wanted to talk about uh, nonconformance, corrective, and preventive actions. So... Um, this is one of those programs, I like to call it a program that, or, or a process, whatever, um, that I, that I uh, get the impression a whole lot of companies don't have this built into their environment. Mm-hmm. And if they do, it's only because they have a certification requirement that requires it. So I guess my first question would be, um, should every company have it? I think you're, I think that is an easy answer. Right. You know? I guess, yeah, you and I talked about it earlier and I said that is uh-huh. an easy answer. Yes. You should have a process. Well, because you know, if the standards, most standards, well, I'm going to say almost all standards have some form of nonconformance, corrective and preventive action requirement put in it. Now I will say one of the changes that they've made in some of the newer standards is preventive action has kind of gone away and it's now been turned into risk. All across the all across the value stream. Mm-hmm. So, how do you identify risk in quoting, in taking an order, in doing engineering, in producing something? Risk, 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 risk. Uh, so, preventive actions kind of kind of being turned into something larger. Well, yeah, and I, and I do like that category of risk because mm-hmm. you can label it schedule risk, cost risk. Um, customer satisfaction risk mm-hmm. and I think it it's it's an easier concept to get your brain around rather than rather than say how do we prevent something from breaking well the only things that you know that have bro- to prevent from breaking are things that already broke right, right? so by, by by calling it risk and say well what's the risk of you know and then you then you then then you get creative and figure you know an earthquake a flood a strike you know things things that that could impact the business and, and first of all i think it's a lot of fun and secondly it is a good way of tracking the variables that are associated with the work that you do right so you know i think that uh you know risk or preventive action is one of those things i have heard that people have always had a hard time implementing or finding uh, things to prevent, mm-hmm. especially depending on the type of organization they're in, how big the organization is, and things like that. But, but for the time being, we're going to focus on you know nonconformance, corrective, preventive action, and then maybe touch on uh, root cause analysis, which is kind of buried up underneath corrective actions. Um, but 
you know, one of the things I've noticed in a lot of organizations is if they don't have any sort of certification requirement, they have no desire at all to implement any sort of nonconformance, any sort of, let's say, formal nonconformance corrective and preventive action program. And and I, I guess I just wanted to touch on why do you think that is? I mean, I, I can't quite wrap my head around why a company would totally avoid doing that if their goal is to get better. Well, now, you there's know, the assumption right there. There's the assumption right there. Okay, right. That's where I was going to go straight away is, yeah. is if you've got a program and you want to get better and you're implementing the program, whether you're going for a certification or not, this is a, a vital part of getting better, All right. of addressing the issues that happen and seeing them through to completion when, when they're being corrected. And right. if you don't have a strong program with strong leaders, then this is one of the things that, that falls off the, the chart because people don't want, oh, I shouldn't say, and I don't like generalizing, but it's very difficult yeah. to get people to, to track outside of their normal course of business items that have to be fixed, improved, corrected. And then, and then you always have to have somebody that is in, I shouldn't say in charge of the program, responsible for the program to, to show how important getting corrective actions done is. Yeah, I think that I, I get the impression that probably what happens is, is, is a problem occurs, whether it's a process problem or a product problem, they recognize the problem, they fix the immediate need, and they move on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They don't want to take the time to resolve the issue and document the issue. So I think that's probably the next thing we kind of need to touch on is, is so if you're an organization that does want to, one, start tracking how well you're doing um, from a nonconformance standpoint and try to come up with a methodology for for maintaining and managing all the things in your environment that are going on, you know, how, you know, how do you set up a program um, for performing this kind of work? And of course, the first thing is is you know coming up with some sort of official form uh, to capture the nonconformance. So you should be capturing and documenting all your nonconformances in your environment, right. and that's both process related. And product related, <laughs> and, and and supplier related. Yeah, those are the three big ones. Those yeah, are, those are the three big those ones. Are the three big ones, and and you know, talk about a program and how you build a program. If there were questions as to why you should, my questions back to those people are typically, well, what are you doing when you find out that you've got high warranty or you've got a high defect rate or you've got late materials or late products? So. So the, the end result, the end result is there. Mm-hmm. So how do you capture the leading indicators? I like, right? I, I like to talk about leading indicators on on uh, measurements and, and metrics. So what, right. what are the things that lead up to those poor results? And and having someone and a program uh, in charge of capturing them is is the answer to why you would do it in the first place. So okay. you just mentioned the three areas that you should do it because those are no doubt you will get 80 plus percent of your of your nonconformances addressed if you capture them under those three right right and and i think that you should 
do your best to set up a program in which you capture all nonconformances. Now, the flip side of this is should you do a corrective and preventive action on every nonconformance? We'll get to that in a second. Mm -hmm. But I do believe that you should try to set up a program in which you have the ability and any employee has the ability to log a uh, nonconformance and and make sure that you're capturing all the appropriate information that's required for that nonconformance. It's an iterative process. You know, you might get people that don't put enough information in, and then you might get people that, that think, okay, well, they want me to do this. I'm going to spend three-quarters of my day writing down what all is wrong. Mm-hmm. So you, need to, you need to manage it. You need to manage it well. Um, one of the first things that you have to understand is what is a nonconformance? What is the tolerance in the product or the process that you allow? So if there is tolerance in the, in the product or process, make sure everybody is well aware of when that product and process is outside of those tolerances and it becomes a nonconformance. So is your goal to not have any tolerances? No, you should have tolerance. Why? Well, tolerance, there's nothing wrong with having a tolerance. Being an engineer, you, you always have a tolerance of, well, I shouldn't say you always, it all depends on what, what your product is. What your product yeah, is. Yeah, but I don't like engineers. Well, I'm kidding. That's good. <laughs> I don't like you either, Wes. Come on, back me up, engineers. I mean, there's, there's, I, there's, there's, there, there's, 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 I know you're throwing me off here. There's, there's tolerances in, in, you know, machines and in time and things like that, you know. So, so there's got to be a tolerance. It's not, you, you I, get it, you don't get a, a piece of paper to the next step, you know, at 9.01 and 34 seconds. You get it, you know, at nine, between 9.30 and 10. So there's a tolerance. I guess depending on what you're talking about, I guess that I would rather not, I guess my, my counterpoint to that is I would rather not the employee have to worry about tolerance. If they think it's a nonconformance, log it, oh. and and um, we can vet it later as to whether it should be no. tossed out or not. Well, you know what, here, maybe we'll have our first... Serious argument. I don't. I think. I think setting the rules are very important. And my you, my idea of, of planning ahead so that you can set the rules is very important because you don't want people creating garbage that somebody else then has to throw away. Well, but I also don't want people making judgments and missing out on something. Well, but it's not a judgment if you set the rules. Well, if if you're setting tolerances, there's always uh, there's always um, uh, what would you call it? Kind of interpretation. No, there's no interpretation. Yeah, that's kind of what I see. (laughs) If if I make it to where if it's out of the scope of what the procedure says, you log it. If it's out of the scope of of what you require that product to be uh, when it comes in the door or gets inspected, if it doesn't meet it. You you log it. Well, yes. If you if you if you got a scratch on the side of it, and you would typically say, "Ah, eh, scratch, eh, no big deal." I say log it. Well, okay. So and, and then and then when we go back and then when we go back and we vet those those corrective actions because we look at those weekly, we vet whatever's been logged that week and we go, "Okay, I see what you're saying on this one. We're gonna we're gonna toss this one aside. We as a team see what you're trying to do, but we're gonna put that one aside." And if we see it more than one time, maybe we will start accumulating and then go after well, that person. I will person. say from the people side of it, and I, I try to be a psychologist sometimes as well, from the people yeah. side of it, if, if you say log everything and the things that 
certain people log, they see that nothing gets done. Yeah. If they see that nothing gets done with what they log, then they're going to turn 180 degrees and say, well, I'm not going to log anything. Yeah. You know, so that's why... That I, that's why That I will agree with. Yes. That's why... If it's a scratch, we'll just use that, and, and we don't have to take it the whole time, you know, debating this. That's why in the procedure you should be specific as to what's acceptable, what's a, what's not acceptable, and that's where the tolerance should be. I guess that's where I should be more clear. The tolerance should be there. If it's a scratch less than four inches, then it's acceptable. If it's a scratch greater than four inches, it's out of tolerance. I don't want to. I don't want them judging that. I want them to log the nonconformance. Oh, it's a scratch. All right. Well, I guess so. Here's where I here's where I do want them to have ju- where where I do want the judgment to be. I'd like to take your judgment and put that on the corrective and preventive action or the corrective action side. I'm not going to do a corrective action for every nonconformance. That's like drinking from a fire hydrant. But I need all the nonconformances because I want to know trends. Is that scratch happening every time, every so often? Is it, you know, on this side or that side? Is it this long, that long? I want to know every one of those because I want to see trends. I want to see, I don't want them leaving that out. I may not do anything with it yet, but but the fact that they logged it is helping me make decisions where I would like to make the judgment call or the um, uh, filtering part of it is on the corrective action side. I'm not going to do a corrective action on everything. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be very picky and choosy. I'm going to, I'm going to focus on, I'm going to focus on first, depending on how good my environment is, I'm going to first focus on anything that's catastrophic, anything that's going to affect the customer, anything that's going to have safety issues. I'm definitely going to do corrective actions on, on those. Uh, from there, I'm going to be very picky and choosy. Um, is that a word, picky and choosy? Yeah, we'll let you <laughs> slide. We'll let you slide. And, and, and so that's where I'm actually going to be kind of uh, lenient on, on what I log as far as on the corrective action side. All right. Okay. So I, on this one, it's, it's real interesting from my point of view, and I am a, a big data type of person. I love tons of data. But, yeah. but I, also, I also think that, that the effort and the guidelines and the autonomy of, of the people that work for you uh-huh. need to be pretty darn clear. You know? Yes. So, agreed. So, so I think in this... So framework is important. Framework here. is important. That's for sure. And then communication. So let's, let's, move, let's move past the debate as to, you know... Agreed. agreed. Everything or, or within specific guidelines. Some sort of tolerances, exactly. yeah. You know, guidelines. Yeah. Is, that, is that one of those we agree to disagree? Well, I think it's a very... Um, personal, and when I say personal, company-specific yeah. approach that you need to take. Um, yeah. Not only not only company-specific as to what the product is that you generate, but company-specific right. as to how you handle your people and how and, and right. how and how your people operate within the guidelines. Right. If if you have if you have people that you know need to know whether something is a one or a zero, <laughs> very. Very digital. Okay, well then you have to manage it one way. If you have people that understand the difference between one point one and point nine, okay, and they understand they understand the difference, then yeah, you handle it differently. So let's get past that. So I think that the, you brought up, or we brought up the next thing, which is really the framework. Mm-hmm. I think it's important to have a good framework. So you know, in my mind, 
going back to what I said earlier, where I want to log every nonconformance, I think that having a good framework in place is what's going to allow that. Um, and I think that, that if you can, you should go digital. And uh, my preference, of course, is SharePoint. Uh, you know, the, the SharePoint is a, is a nice tool for managing that. If you have simple forms, paper forms that you want to do that, it's just that if you're using paper forms, your ability to then turn that into usable, mineable data is a little more difficult. You've got to do some work now if it's all paper forms. Somebody's got to load something into a spreadsheet or something to that effect. But, you know, if you're loading, if you're loading that data into SharePoint, your ability to extract that, or some sort of database. It doesn't have to be SharePoint. SharePoint's just the easiest to set up. Yeah, SharePoint, from my use, and, and I'm not a SharePoint guru like you are, but I mean, SharePoint to me is the is the sharing. <laughs> it's the de facto co- uh, collaborative tool. It's a collaborative tool. What what, yeah, I, what so I like to see is is um, the tool, the the software in that is a an Excel spreadsheet. Put you put it yeah. you put it in Excel with. You know the items, and maybe we'll talk about this here now. Is you know what what it is, the description, who owns right. it. One of the things that I wanted right. to get to for sure before we finished our time was who owns that corrective action, right? Who's responsible for making sure that it gets fixed, that it doesn't happen again? And that's that's the other thing too that we should probably but see. That's on. why we. That's why. Um, I don't require that part of it until we vet it out that week. Yeah, right. So because I, I don't necessarily want the guy on the shop floor or the engineer or whatever. I just need them to say, I, engineer, logged on this date an, an issue, and it was around this product, and it's, you know, here's a description, blah, 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And then during our weekly meeting, we take all – 10 of those or five of those or how many we got that week and we vet them and we assign them. Mm -hmm. And if we feel that somebody needs to take ownership of it and it needs to be turned into, uh, if it needs just a, like a short description, they'll finish that out in the nonconformance and that's assigned to somebody. If it needs uh, more of a corrective action with a root cause, we'll plan that out and assign somebody, you know? So there's a little bit more to it uh, going, going that direction. But that way we, um, have a little bit of control and, and have the ability to continue to watch the trends on a weekly basis uh, and make sure that we're paying attention to where where are issues coming from? Right. Are they all across the board? Are they in a specific area? Are they a specific product? Are they a specific supplier? You know, mm-hmm. and, and, a lot of different And there is, there's, more, there's more to the filling out of the nonconformances based on how your people how your people work, right? Because you might you might get people that don't real don't think it's a big deal, or do think it's a big deal. Sure. So, so you know, looking at looking at the nonconformances, if they're coming from one area of the organization, you might you might look at that area and say, hey, do we have a more diligent person logging these things as opposed to somebody yeah. that's not logging them? So so you have to have oversight. Well, and we have had to bring people into our meeting and say, hey, we see you logged two nonconformances. This one we get. This one is not very clear. Can you help us out a little bit? And, you know, we, and we help them kind of help us add a little bit more clarity, a little bit more information. Where did it come from? And so that's just a training aspect of people learning to write and add detail. You know, I tell these people that we need to be able to read this, you know, three or four months down the road and know what it was about. We don't want to read it three or four months down the road and go, what? 
what was, I don't get it, you know. So how much more so complicated you, do you think a system is for a larger company? So say somebody like GE, you know. Oh, well, that's the nice thing about SharePoint, in my opinion. Its ability to scale is so easy. Mm -hmm. You know, you can make a, uh, a relatively small investment and be able to scale SharePoint. I, I, I'm definitely a SharePoint nerd. You know, I, I love, I, you know, I try to solve most of my problems with SharePoint first. Yeah, that's good. You know, and, and because I know that my ability to extract and mine and quickly change it on the fly. So when somebody says, you know, hey, it'd be great if we had this other column of data we can capture, my ability to revise that tool is like that. Mm -hmm. But if somebody created it in an access database, my ability to change it, or it was in an ERP system, my ability to change it would be right. very difficult, right. you know. So, that, that, I guess so that's the flexibility. Just, yeah that comes with it with SharePoint is just amazing. So and that, I was just thinking as we were talking, yeah, the, uh, the different, you know, folks that are out there and what kind of companies they're in and, and, and managing it, managing this type of, of program, uh, over like what number of people. Right. Yeah. Well, and I didn't necessarily want to, you know, get into being a, a cheerleader for SharePoint, but the, the framework and how you implement this program and how easy you make it work is what's going to make it successful. Right. The ability for any employee to jump on there real quick and take less than one minute or two minutes to fill out a nonconformance is huge because my ability to say you need to do this, they go, oh, okay, yeah, it's not a big deal. Whereas if it was complicated, it was hard to log into, they had to learn a bunch of stuff, and they only log into it, let's say, once every other week or something like that, and it was hard to remember, man, that's going to fail. Right, I agree with you. So, mm -hmm. you know, so the ability to make it easy is, is, is pretty important. So uh, I think the other thing that we should quickly touch on, you know, we've, uh, you know, touched a little bit on corrective and preventive action. I think the the main thing on corrective action that we need to kind of cover is when you're performing corrective action, I think you should be um, very specific on what you want to turn into a corrective action. Do not try to solve your company's woes and do a corrective action on everything. Again, like I said earlier, that would be like, you know, drinking from a fire hydrant. I mean, you'll drown. Mm -hmm. You know, because here's the thing. When you do a, 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 a real corrective action, you're actually trying to drill down into the root cause of the problem. You're trying to truly fix a process so that it never happens again. So when you're going to take that time of time and that investment, do it right. You know, so, you know, actually perform the function to where uh, you're truly fixing the problem, measuring whether you fix the problem. You know, so when you do a corrective action, it could be, it could take anywhere from a week or two to a month or two right. to actually yeah. do the work. And so if you tried to do that for every nonconformance, every one of your employees would be tied up doing corrective <laughs> actions all the time every day. Yeah, nothing would be going on. So, you know, of course, again, depending on the size of your organization, that's a different story when you're talking about somebody like uh, Motorola or GE that has teams of mm -hmm. Six Sigma people, yeah. you know, doing process change every day so we're not talking about those types of, of companies right. but the self yeah. self-managed group of people that uh yeah. put together their quality process and program 
Yeah. And I think that, uh, you know, making sure that you do some training on discovering what tools you have available to actually performing a good corrective and uh, corrective action and root cause analysis, you know, such as, you know, performing five whys when you're doing your discovery work, uh, such as uh, doing fishbone diagrams to truly finding the root of problems. Uh, when you're measuring things to actually find out where the biggest problem is, because usually these corrective actions have multiple issues to them. You know, there's usually not one, just one. Uh, yeah. You want to make sure you deal with the documentation. Uh, you want to make sure you deal with training during these processes. Uh, you want to make sure that what you've changed actually fixed the problem, you know, so you really want to do it, do it right. So, um, you know, there's an investment there. Yeah. You know, and that maybe is what scares off a lot of and people. And I was just going to say, like, what you just described there sounds like, wow, that's a lot of work. I mean, how do you do that? It can be. How do you do that along with your, your day job? Mm-hmm. You know? It can be. And, and you definitely want to pace yourself. And that's one of the reasons why when you get to the corrective action part, you want to be very poignant mm-hmm. on what you're going to focus on. Um, so... Uh, the other big one I think we should touch on is scars, you know, because suppliers play such an important role in your success that really scars is almost where you start first. And, you know, performing your, you know, your auditing, you know, we talked about last week performing internal auditing, but performing supplier audits is, you know, part of part of that program. And then actually um, issuing scars, which scar is, of course, supplier corrective action report. Right. Yeah, and uh, actually issuing those to your suppliers and trying to hold them accountable to actually coming up with a mitigation that is real. So that's that's one of the tougher ones, you know, because you'll get suppliers that will actually, you know, say, yeah, we just threw an extra body at it and, you know, we'll make sure that doesn't happen again. They'll write that in the scar. And I'm like, that's not doesn't, good. Yeah, it doesn't give you much assurance. No, it sure doesn't, you know, so, uh, you know, trying to work with these suppliers, uh, to kind of help them come up with a, you know, a true fix to, uh, you know, some of their problems, not that you're trying to, um, uh, trying to point your finger at them all the time. And I will say there is a little bit of a danger of making sure you've got your own backyard kind of cleaned up before you start picking on all your suppliers. So, you know, if you're, if you're a mess, don't start with your suppliers first. Right. Yeah, that's not going to help fix yourself. You would want suppliers to be welcoming to the fact that you're there to help them fix whatever issue it is that, that's happening between them and you. So they, they, right. they should welcome it, and that's the kind of supplier yeah. that you want. And, and yeah. it's how you address it, which, which yeah. at least opens the door and, and lets things flow a little easier when you say, hey, we want to go through you know, the quality process and corrective actions when things don't go right. Yeah. And as far as preventive actions go, you know, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Uh, You know, that really is risk and making sure that uh, you really identify risk and put things in place to mitigate activities before they happen, you know, which using the word preventive action has just been a challenge for a lot of companies to wrap their head around. So a lot of people are liking the new standard going towards, uh, you know, identification of, of risk throughout your whole organization. So chronologically then, if you're putting in a process and a program, uh-huh. that, to me, that's what you should start with is a risk assessment. Sure. 
right? There's no point in, in, in building a, a corrective action process if you can do a risk analysis first and show where the higher risks are and then and then build your system, your corrective action system around where the majority of your risk is. Sure. So Yeah, it's, it's as good a place to start mm-hmm. as any. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. So is there anything else you think we should touch on on uh, non-conformance uh, and corrective and preventive action? You know, I, I probably would talk a lot more about risk and what to do with risk and how to ma- manage and measure risk. So maybe that should be yeah. another another session is fo- focusing solely on risk. I'm, you know, our, our environment that I'm currently in, we're relatively new to risk. You know, whenever we get our certification in place, we'll be bumping up to the next standard level within a year, and risk is part of that. Yeah. So. We'll be dealing with that here. Well, risk happens every day. Risk does happen every day. <laughs> Stepping out your door yeah. is risky these days. <laughs> yeah. you know? So, um, so like we brought up at the beginning of this session, uh, Sean's got a little reading homework for uh, for next week. I don't know if we'll uh, uh, talk about it next week or not, but uh, we're going to go ahead and end our session on nonconformance and corrective preventive actions. Uh, we hope that all of you have a great week, Sean. Thank you, and we'll see you That's later. Last talk, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Man Versus Business. Please note that neither Sean nor myself are business consultants. We just have a strong passion for discussing all things business. Please remember to visit sigmatree.co to see our other podcasts, our business ventures, and our blog. And by the way, you can also drop us a line from the message page. Again, thank you and have a good week. Mm-hmm.